watching um, probably at home, I expect, on Zoom. It's really great to have you all with us. Um, just a, a few, few notices, I think. Um, as, as those many of you who have been in the church already um, over the last few weeks know, um, unfortunately, there can be no singing within the, the congregation. Um, if you want to, to pray when there is open prayer, if you just put your hand up and Adrian will come with the mic. Um, we have, have to ask you not to, to hold on to the mic. Um, and then at the end of the service, if you stay in your seat, somebody will come and uh, tell you when to go out. Um, this side go that way, this side go that way. So like one of these aircrafts. So, <laughs> um, so yes, it, it is good to be here this morning. Um, but before we go any further, Martin has a, a notice that he wants to bring. Thank you. Thanks, Alison. Um, yeah, one of our um, one of our members um, of the church, Pam Younger, sadly uh, passed away uh, recently. And um, I'm conducting um, her funeral at uh, Woking Crematorium on Thursday, the 20th of May um, at 1 p.m. Um, unfortunately, that's family only because the uh, crematorium is still limited to 15 people. But there will be a, a link uh, to, to the service online. Um, the family will be having a, a Thanksgiving memorial service for Pam later on after the um, all of the restrictions come to an end. So probably June, July, there'll be a service here in the church um, because it was very much Pam's wish that there would be singing. So obviously at the moment that can't happen. So there will be a, a memorial service here in, in the next few months. But if you want to join uh, the service online, then we'll let you have the, the details. So that's Thursday, the 20th of, of May at 1 p.m. Thanks, Alice. We're going to be carrying on this morning with our series in uh, Ecclesiastes, and uh, today it's, we're looking at all is vanity. And yeah, we, we'll be focusing on, on how really there is nothing that's, that has any meaning um, but knowing God and being in a relationship with him. And that reminded me of what Paul said in Philippians. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. And so let's bring our, our worship now to, to, to Jesus, um, at Christ Jesus, our Lord, uh, for whose sake we can lose everything um, but gain everything. Thank you. Church, we need your power. 
opportunity for intercessory prayer later in the service. But for now, um, let's bring to God his due, to, to Jesus, the light of the world, Emmanuel, and to God our Father. Let's bring to our holy God our praise and adoration. As I've said, in the sanctuary, if you wish to pray, just put up your hand and um, at home, unmute yourself and, and pray. Bring praises of worship and adoration. Thank you for dispelling the myth that there is no God. And thank you for us not being able to think that we do things on our own. We can't make our own food and we can't make our own water. You make us whole when we're not. You do so many things that we can praise you for. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Father, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you that he is the light of the world. And Father, we thank you that whatever darkness there is in this world, that he can make it light and bright. And Father, we just pray that, that you will do that. Father, there's so much darkness in this place, but we just thank you for Jesus, that he shines his light on everything around us and within us. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Jesus, it's all about you, and we praise you that in you there's life. Otherwise, everything else is meaningless. But we thank you, Father God, that you sent your Son, Christ, to die in our place, to take the penalty of our sin. And you give us new life in Christ Jesus by your Spirit. Father, fill me, fill us today with a fresh outpouring of your Spirit. Let me walk in your ways, we may be obedient to your laws. We may know in every circumstance of life that you're with us, leading us on, that you, being that you are the way, the truth, and the life. Mm -hmm. The life is nothing without you. I thank you myself. Thank you for every day. Thank you for yesterday. A bit normal, but there you are with us. You provided all I needed. And you give us hope for today. Help us to walk in that afresh. Amen. Some years ago, I had the urge to investigate my family tree. Families used to be quite large, and there was a tendency to name one son after the father. Hence, in 1662, a John Hearn married and had a son John, who married in 1698 and had a son John, who married in 1720 had another son John. Then followed three Moses in succession. I don't know what the first three Johns did, but the fourth John was decided to described as a wagoner, as was the first two Moses. The last Moses was an agricultural labourer. Seven lives for approximately 70 years each, and now you know as much as I do about their lifetime's <coughs> achievements. During this period, we had the Great Plague, Great Fire of London, Industrial Revolution, First Cotton Mills, Napoleon beaten at Waterloo, and the first steam passenger train. I think I had a fairly full life, but who else cares? Posterity will record the dates of my birth, marriage and death, and that's about it. Oh, and then there was that speeding incident, 2004. That's probably still on somebody's record. Hopefully there will be the book of life when I can discuss the rights and wrongs with my maker and find out if any John or Moses Hearn were also God-fearing people.
Lord, we thank you for showing us that, as Paul wrote in Philippians, we have no righteousness of our own, but because of what Jesus has done, we are covered in the righteousness of God, the righteousness that comes from God and by faith in Jesus. We thank you for reminding us that nothing else matters. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, Mark has um, been beavering hard this week, preparing another video all-age talk for us, and uh, we're going to watch that now. So thank you in advance, Mark. So as we saw last week, when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, Toil and trouble entered the world, pain and sickness and the futility of life began. But what did that really mean? Well, life became difficult. Unlike in the Garden of Eden, when everything was perfect, now it was hard to grow crops for food and to raise animals. Seasons came and seasons went, and the same routine happened over and over again. Nothing seemed to change. Toil and hard work. What was it all for? Well, without a relationship with God, all the hard work seemed pointless. But God still loved the world and still wanted the best for mankind. Now, before Jesus was born, God chose the Israelites to be his people, and he gave them a set of rules called the Ten Commandments, and he would look after them and help them if they kept the Ten Commandments. But of course, they still had free will, and they still made mistakes along the way by making bad choices. These bad choices had consequences, like being in slavery in Egypt, or in exile in Babylon, as we've looked at in previous videos. This was because they lived under the law, and that means they lived by a set of rules, and the law was written on tablets of stone. You see, before Jesus was born, the Israelites tried to earn their salvation by doing good things, by obeying the law. And it was hard. But everything changed when Jesus came to earth, when he died on the cross and rose again three days later. You see, Jesus came to restore the relationship between God and mankind. Through the grace and love of God, Jesus paid the price for our sin by his death. And because we can now have a relationship with him, the law is now written on our hearts rather than on tablets of stone. But this doesn't mean that now everything will be easy. Far from it. Jesus never promised that life would be easy. But the difference is our motivation has changed. We no longer have to work hard to try to earn our salvation because if we believe in Jesus, we are saved by his grace. No, our work is in response to the love that God has shown to us. It's for God's glory, not our own. And Jesus put it like this. When the Son of Man comes in glory, and that's when he comes back to earth, we call it the second coming, and all the angels are with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another, as a she shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom 
prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. When I needed clothes, you clothed me. I was sick, you looked after me. When I was in prison, you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you, a stranger, invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison? The king will reply, truly, I tell you, whenever you did this for one of the least of my brothers and sisters, you did it for me. So what Jesus is saying is that our service, whatever we're doing, whether it's helping people, whether it's going to work, whether it's working hard at school, whatever we do, it is serving Jesus. And Jesus is pleased with our service. We see we have to realise that our destiny is not now limited to the life we have on this earth. Our destiny is an eternal destiny. We're part of God's family. We're called children of God and we will live with him for eternity. The purpose of our life is now clear. Life can once again be meaningful and fulfilled as we experience the joy of the love of God when we return to the relationship that we were created to have with him. Let's pray. Father God, you call us to care for one another, to, to reach out to one another, to love one another. And you equip us to be able to do that. And Lord, I'd like to thank you for the, the monetary offering that um, comes into to this church through the bank accounts mainly, but in, in other ways. Lord, I pray that you will give us the wisdom to use those um, funds in order to, to bring your kingdom closer here on earth, Lord, to do your work. And Lord, sometimes um, all we can do for, for other people is to pray. And yet that is such a powerful thing. And we thank you for that privilege. And so we pray now, Lord, for, for Pam, uh, Pam's family, for Bob especially, Lord. Um, we're not even sure um, how much he'll be able to, to take in. I just pray for, for him, um, for their sons, the rest of their family, for, for Pam's friends, that you will be with them, that you will um, comfort them in their grief. We thank you, Lord, as I'm sure they thank you, that we know where Pam is, that she's with you now, Lord, that um, she's one of the sheep. And we thank you that uh, she's in no more pain, um, that she's in glory now with you. We thank you that we can have that certainty because you promise that to, to those who love you. And further afield, Lord, we, we pray for the situation in India. We see these terrible pictures. We do pray, Lord, that um, you will provide the, the oxygen and the vaccine and other medical supplies that are needed. We pray for strength, Lord, endurance for the, the medical staff. We pray that um, somehow, Lord, miraculously, beds will become available that are needed. And we, we pray, Lord, for the, the medical staff, for all those who are working there. Um, we pray for, for Christians who are trying to reach out to, to their fellow brothers and sisters. It seems an impossible situation, but you are the God of the impossible. And so we ask that you would reach out there and do a miracle. And we think also, Lord, of the situation in, in Israel, for the families and friends of, of those who were killed at uh, the religious festival, Lord. 
Again, we pray that you will be with them, that you will comfort them. And we would dare to ask, Lord, that for those who don't know the Messiah, um, apart from in the scriptures, Lord, we, we pray that they will come to know you personally. And now, Lord, in the quiet, we bring to you our prayers of petition and intercession for those who are on our hearts. Lord. Just uh, in the quiet of your own hearts, bring before him those who need a touch from God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that Pat B does for our church. And Lord, we just praise you and thank you that uh, she came home safely from her appointment. And Father, we would just pray that uh, you would be her strength, you would be her peace, and you would be her healing master. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord, we pray for all those looking after the unwell, those uh, Christian people, those that are not. And we pray, of course, for those that, who are unwell. And we, in this church, um, pray for Peter Redmond, that there will be some kind of relief for his pain. We hope, you know, that those, you know, as Alison said, who, who don't yet know you, through these things may come to know you. Amen. Father, we... We bring before you every single person and situation who has been thought of this morning. We thank you, Lord, for, for answered prayer. We thank you that you are such a loving, caring God, that we can bring everything to you, all our cares, all our anxieties, all our petitions. We thank you for that, Lord. Amen. The reading this morning is um, in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 from verses 3 to 11. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Martin, for his obedience to you in bringing your word to us this morning. We pray for an anointing of your spirit on him 
as he comes and speaks to us. And Lord, we pray that we will be doers of the word, not merely hearers. Amen. Thank you, Alison, uh, for leading us so well this morning. Um, for Mark, for really helpful uh, all-age video. I'm not using the clicker this morning because we've got problems with it. Um, so Jasper's going to... Uh, we'll have some sort of system or a nod or something when we want to change uh, slides or something. But uh, uh, looking today at uh, the whole issue of um, everything is vanity, but especially um, do we labour in vain? Um, by labour... Um, it could be voluntary service in the church or in the community. It could be raising children and grandchildren or even paid work. Um, so do we labor in vain? That's certainly what uh, Solomon asks in this passage. Um, Leo Tolstoy, um, the author of uh, War and Peace, um, he had an existential crisis around the age of 50, uh, 50, 50, and he records this in a book called uh, a confession. And um, he was leading a very successful life until about the age of 50. And then he began to uh, have a, a realization that every loved one would be taken away from him. And all that he had written would eventually be forgotten. And in the light of this, he asked the question, is there any meaning in my life that the inevitable death awaiting me does not destroy? And he said, how can we fail to see this? That is what is surprising. One can only live while one is intoxicated with life. As soon as one is sober, it is impossible not to see that all is a mere fraud and a stupid fraud. So he didn't mean that he was drunk. He just meant that he sobered up in life and come to see the reality of his life. And he couldn't easily go back to writing his novels and loving his family because for Tolstoy, there was no lasting objective meaning in life. I don't know, have you ever, have you ever built sandcastles at the uh, seaside with your children or with the grandchildren? Um, and you, you spend hours crafting these sandcastles. You even put a moat uh, around the sandcastle, almost make it into a city. Um, and you make a moat to catch the water as it comes in to make it look really lifelike. But then later on, a couple of hours later, after you've had your ice cream and your cream tea, you go back to look at um, the sandcastle and it's been completely washed away by the incoming tide. And what Solomon is saying in this passage is there is an incoming tide. Eventually, the sun will die, the solar system will collapse Everything will be wiped away by the sands of time. No one will remember anything that ever happened. And if life is all there is under the sun, if, they, if this is it, and eventually the solar system will die, even if you spend your whole life helping others and serving others, even if you spend your whole life creating wealth and jobs or in alleviating poverty, in the end, according to Solomon, it makes no difference. Everything will die. Everything will come to nothing. Even believers today, though, are often shaped by the secular culture's complete emphasis on the here and now. Um, you often get books uh, from Christian authors along the line of your best life now. Well, Solomon would disagree because Solomon has an eternal perspective. While Christ does transform our life now, the Christian life is so much more than just this life. The fleeting pleasures of life, according to Solomon, are senseless, useless, and insignificant if we try to live without reference and gratitude to God. And this is exactly the question that Solomon asks in verse 3. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? I think Solomon knows the answer. It's a rhetorical question. Nothing. We gain absolutely nothing. Now, the word gain means a profit. It means to be in the black, financially or otherwise. 
And the question that the king is asking is at the end of the life, what will we be in the black? Will there be a surplus to our lives? What can we leave behind as a lasting monument of all our effort? Um, we all, as human beings, want to leave a lasting legacy, don't we? And um, partly what we do when we have a funeral is to give a eulogy or a tribute to the person. And we celebrate the legacy that they left to their children and grandchildren. But the reality that Solomon wants to face is that nothing ultimately lasts for eternity if it's done and thought about without reference to God. Now, you'll be pleased to know that um, Solomon wouldn't want us to end with the reality that labor is all in vain. He's deliberately provoking us, winding us up, stirring us up to look for more purpose and meaning in life in, in, in relationship with God. So the purpose of Ecclesiastes is, as we saw last week, Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13. Jasper, you're doing an amazing job here. <laughs> the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. So our life, the purpose, the meaning of life is to fear God and keep his commands. That means to love God, to serve him, to obey him, to make him your priority in, and submit to him as Lord and King. Only fearing God, obeying him, loving him, worshipping him will give you lasting meaning and purpose. And I want us to look at three aspects of our labour and toil and service this morning. First of all, why does life feel like going round in a hamster wheel? Um, sometimes, if you're like me, you just want to get off the wheel. You know, somebody stop this hamster wheel. I just want to get off for a while. You ever feel like that? Second, how the God who makes things new can break the cycle of the hamster wheel. And third, how we can live as Christians with a new eternal purpose. The point is that life feels a bit like a hamster wheel because things go round and round in circles. They repeat. And it feels like sometimes we're getting nowhere. Um, just to, and Solomon uses illustrations from nature to illustrate that things seem to go round and round in circles. The sun chases its tail. It rises, it sets. And the whole cycle goes round and round again. The wind goes to the south. It comes back round to the north. Streams flow into the sea. The water evaporates. Uh, the rain comes down. Streams flow into the sea again. The sea is never full. There's this endless water cycle that goes on. And we are like the wind, the sun, and the seas. Just as water pours into the ocean again and again without ever filling it, so the things of this world, the things that we see, touch, feel, hear, pour into our eyes and ears and back through our mouths, and yet we are never satisfied. Verse 8, Solomon says this, All things are full of weariness, and man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. Now, at one level, that's really positive. Um, there is a healthy, childlike wonder at the world, isn't there? Um, I don't know if you're like me, I never get tired of the spring. I love this time of year. Anybody else? The beautiful flowers, the birds singing. Um, we've got a family of um, blue tits in our garden at the moment. I just, just love watching them. Um, just the beauty of creation, the, the warmth of, of the sunshine. There is a childlike wonder, isn't there, at creation? And I love wildlife programs. There's always more to learn within creation. Curiosity is part of who we are as human beings, and we get great joy from walking and from nature and from creation. But Solomon also wants us to see this in verse 9. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. And people use that expression, don't they? And it's true, and it comes from the book of Ecclesiastes. Tell them that next time they say it. What Solomon is saying is that human beings are always searching for something new, the novel, something that somebody's not discovered before or seen before, something that will give us hope and will break the repetitive cycles that we see in nature. 
Solomon says there's nothing new, really, truthfully, under the sun. Whatever we see and hear has already been and gone, maybe in a different guise, but basically it's the same as before. Um, just when you think that somebody's come up with a new idea for church growth or church organization or strategy, you go back in church history and you see it's all been done before. Or you think, well, that sounds new and novel, a new and novel teaching, and you find, ah, yeah, the church, that was heresy where the church went wrong two, three hundred years before. There's nothing new under the sun. There's always somebody coming up with a new, supposedly new teaching that nobody's thought of before, and you think, ah, yeah, okay, there it is in history. We should beware of our culture's constant search for the new and the novel, um, because Solomon says there's nothing new under the sun. Now, Solomon isn't saying that there's nothing new ever invented or we don't discover new things. We know this is true. We are always, as human beings, seeking to go farther and farther into space, aren't we? We're all sending probes to discover new planets. No, the point that Solomon is making is that there is nothing new because there is nothing new in our constant search for satisfaction and for the new and the novel and us never finding satisfaction. So when we discover one planet and take samples from one planet, we'll want to go further and take samples from the next planet. And if we ever get to the end of this solar system, we'll be looking to send a probe that can go beyond this solar system and collect samples and bring them back. There's nothing new and nothing that will satisfy us as human beings in our discoveries. We're always searching for the new and novel and making new discoveries and inventions, but nothing satisfies us. Solomon wants to see this, see that at the end of the day, there's nothing that we gain ultimately from all our toil under the sun. Now, creativity and invention are good things. We have a vaccine today because somebody created and invented a new uh, medicine and we give thanks to God for that but there'll need to be another one for another disease or virus in the future won't there we will never be satisfied with where we've got to because there's always going to be something new that we need um, just in case we haven't got the point yet Solomon talks about leaving a lasting legacy for future generations um, verse 11 there is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. People often talk about the next generation, don't they, in terms of progress. We say our children are our future. We say they'll be able to accomplish things and go to places that go way beyond anything we ever did. And that's true, isn't it? And I hope that my children go past me in accomplishments. We all want that, don't we? Good. But ultimately, says Solomon, the younger generation will become the old generation. And then there'll be a generation after that. And if we say we're looking to leave a legacy or example to future generations, well, that's a good purpose, a worthy thing in the short term. But because the solar system will eventually cool down and the universe will collapse and the sun will go out, all legacies and generations will come to an end. This is the crisis that Leo Tolstoy found. Even War and Peace will one day be forgotten as a book. There's not many people have read that book, by the way. But if you ask, name a book by Leo Tolstoy, people will go, oh yeah, War and Peace. Never read it, <laughs> never at the time, but they know it. But even that will one day be forgotten. Feeling cheery? <laughs> so how then can our lives and work be a lasting legacy? Well, how I want to look to, at how the God who makes all things new can break the hamster wheel cycle. God says in Revelation 21, behold, I make all things new. So there is hope. Solomon paints a deliberately gloomy picture to drive us towards God. There is a God who rules over the sun. So we don't just have to live under the sun. There is a God who rules over the sun. 
we can only find satisfaction in God. Now, this doesn't mean that if we believe in God, all our troubles will be over and we'll never feel frustration, weariness, vanity again. But Ecclesiastes opens up the possibility that we can live above the sun when we live for God. We can find refreshment and joy, even in this frustrating world, when we seek God's kingdom first. One simple way, the beauty of nature, although there are repetitive cycles in nature, which kind of make our lives feel like a bit of a hamster wheel, we're just going around in circles. When you know God, you have somebody to give thanks for, for the sunrise and the sunset and the beauty of creation. Always interested, uh, atheists, who do you thank for the creation? Well, it's just chance. It just came about by random chance. You know, it just happened to, to be here. We're just one universe in a multiverse where these things happen to come together for no reason. That's not very cheering, is it? I like the biblical perspective where the psalmist can say this in Psalm 113, verse 3. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. That gives you a whole new view on life, doesn't it? The repetitive cycles of the sun are something to give thanks for because God is a God of order, not chaos. He's a God who is faithful in the cycles and the seasons of nature. Spring follows winter because God is a God of faithfulness. The winds blow at God's bidding. The waters flow at his command. He's the God of beauty, order. Psalm 104, verse 3. He lays the beams of his chambers on the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. So when we see the seemingly endless cycle of the seasons and the repetitive part of nature like jeremiah we can say this lamentations 3 the steadfast love of the lord never ceases his mercies never come to an end they are new every morning great is your faithfulness every day when the sun comes up if it comes up <laughs> is a cause for saying to god this is the day that the lord has made we will rejoice and be glad in it that gives you a whole new reason to be alive doesn't it to give thanks to God for the breath in your body, for the bird song, for the sun, for the, for the trees, for the water, for the food that you eat. A life of thanksgiving and gratitude and submission to God is a life of joy and refreshment and not repetitive hamster wheel. You see, the God who rules over and above the sun is always doing something new. That's the perspective that being a Christian brings. Think of the new covenant in the blood of Jesus. Jesus said this at the Last Supper. This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. This is the blood that Jesus shed on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins so that we can know God by faith. Then there is the new life that came up from the empty tomb when Jesus rose from the dead. There is the new heart that God gives to the person who turns to Jesus and says, you died for my sin." You rose to conquer death, and I want to be a new creation. And God's spirit comes to live in that person and makes them a new creation when his spirit comes to live in them. And one day God promises a new heaven and a new earth. When this weary old world comes to an end, God will make the heavens and the earth new. There's a promise to keep weary people going in the midst of life's frustrations. There's a promise to give you hope when the world is struggling and in pain. You know, we can experience as Christians joy and refreshment and rest and peace in the midst of a broken and fallen and cursed world precisely because we know that the kingdom has broken in through Jesus and is coming in fullness when he comes again. One day when Jesus returns, he will bring the fullness of his kingdom. The curse of sin, death, frustration, futility, meaninglessness will be reversed. 
and so we can live today with a new eternal purpose. Um, your work, your service, your family life may well be frustrating at times. In fact, I'd be surprised if it wasn't. <laughs> Everybody experiences frustration and, you know, the reality of living in this world. Broken relationships. Um, things don't go the way that we hope. We don't always have a good day at work, do we? We don't always have a good day with the family. Things go wrong. But knowing Jesus transforms our view of our service because he gives us hope. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Isn't that great? Why? Because we are heading for a future where God will renew the heavens and the earth. So every act of service in this earth, whatever you are doing, whether you are serving your family, whether you are coming alongside the lonely and the sick, whether you are helping at a food bank, whether you are helping in a business sense to create wealth or to provide a service to the community, whether you are coming alongside those struggling with mental health, whether you are helping the environment through recycling or through whatever attempts you are doing to do justice, whatever you are doing will one day be perfected and will be stored up as treasure in heaven, in a new heaven and a new earth. So what you are doing today will be drawn together and transformed by Christ and will be stored up in God's eternal kingdom. Why? Because Jesus is returning to renew his kingdom. This is what um, John says at the end of uh, Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall they be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. There is a future healed world that is coming when Jesus returns. And your work and service and toil as a Christian in Christ's name are showing this coming world in part to others. So when you work for justice in the name of Jesus, when you serve in a school in the name of Jesus, when you are part of a business in the name of Jesus, demonstrating kingdom principles in that business, when you are seeking to do justice in the name of Jesus, when you are seeking to do justice in a food bank or in providing food for the hungry in the name of Jesus, when you are coming alongside the lonely, the depressed, the broken in the name of Jesus, when you are studying at school or college or university in the name of Jesus, you are showing people the kingdom that is partly here and will one day be fully here. All our efforts, however partial, however frustrating, will one day be renewed and transformed and made beautiful in a new city of Jerusalem. Isn't that wonderful? Everything you'll do, you do today as a Christian, all those little acts of service in helping your family and the community are being honoured and will one day be renewed by Jesus. And you are storing up treasure in heaven that moths will not eat, rust will not destroy, and death cannot ever take away. Isn't that good news? So I want to say to Leo Tolstoy, there is hope. Leo, if you were to write those books in the name of Jesus, they would last for eternity because Christ would transform them 
and they would become part of the new heavenly city, transformed, renewed, made even more beautiful than they are today. So every act of service, every act of listening, every conversation that you have to befriend somebody will one day be perfected in heaven. You, you might think your efforts are partial. You might think your work and service in the church and out in the community and in your businesses is frustrating and you never really feel satisfied at the end of the day. But God will one day take all of our best efforts and he will transform them and he will perfect them in a new heaven and a new earth. Does that give you a new hope for serving? Does that give you a new meaning, a new purpose for your acts of service, your work today? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that one day you will renew the heavens and the earth and all of our service, big and small, in our families, our workplaces, our community, our church. Lord, point people to the kingdom that will one day come on earth. Lord, we pray that you would renew our vision our meaning and our purpose for all the acts of service that we do, that we would do them, Jesus, in your name and for your glory, remembering that one day they will be stored up as treasure in heaven. And one day, Lord, people will see in full what we have contributed in part on this earth. So, Lord, renew us, renew our passion to serve you wherever we call to serve. Lord, give us a new heart through the power of your Holy Spirit. And I pray, Lord, for for those here today whose work is deeply unsatisfying at this time. Lord, I pray for those who are struggling in school or college or university. Lord, I pray for those who are not finding fulfillment uh, because their circumstances in their family are so difficult. Lord, I pray that you would give them hope today. Lord, that you would renew their vision, that you would renew their hope, the hope of glory in their hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Martin. Our closing song is one that um, has been brought to my attention from at least three different uh, directions uh, in the past week. Um, it's, there are new lyrics to an old hymn tune, and the lyrics express the desire for God to be active 24-7, every minute, every second of every day in all areas of life. And they invite God um, to be acknowledged on all of our front lines, wherever we are, whatever it is that, that we're doing, whether it's personal um, or nationally. Um, and so we're, we're going to sing that song now. It's uh, called We Seek Your Kingdom. Thank you.
Lord God, we thank you for the word that we've heard from you today. Lord God, if we're tempted to, or if, if we are questioning where we can find our, our satisfaction and purpose, or if we're tempted to, to look for them elsewhere in things apart from you, Lord, would you forgive us? But would your Holy Spirit convict us of the truth that all that counts is our relationship with you and what we do for you? But Lord, we don't have to do great world-shattering things. Everything that we do for you counts. There's no act of service that's too trivial. Everything can bring glory to you. I'm just reminded of the words of a, a song that we, we often sing here. Everything I am is for your glory. And so in the words of that song that we've just sung, Lord, would you make us again what we were meant to be? Would you help us by your spirit to be selfless in service and to love you and others constantly? to be faithful to you because that is what will count for eternity and we ask this in the precious name of Jesus amen